in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And let me tell you something. I had a line out in front of the studio to come in for this show because what a special show we have. Normally, uh, you know, when I'm speaking to our next guest, uh, she's making me do things that I really don't want to do and most likely would not do. Uh, but she gets me to do them. And I'm always glad, actually, when it's over. Um, and each week that we do this show, it seems like we reach a, a first or uh, we're breaking a record. And this week is no different. Tonight, we have the most physically fit person to ever appear on the No Outlet podcast. I'm sure that's true. She is a competitive endurance athlete. She is a fighter for human equality and justice. She is my fitness coach, and she is a great and fun person, and also happens to be a big fan of the No Outlet podcast, so please help me welcome to the show, Coach Liza Duddy. Liza, how are you? Oh my God, I'm, I'm just blushing at that intro, Ethan. Oh, good. Well, mission accomplished. That's what I was hoping for. Perfect. All <laughs> Thank right, so, you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. I can't wait. We're going to play a game. It's called 20 Questions, and it always starts in the same place, and that's question number one. Question number one, do you believe in the concept of no pain, no gain? No. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and it's most people thinking that you're like an endurance athlete, you're a trainer, they might be surprised by that because that was kind of what was always, you know, kind of nailed into everyone's head. So explain why you don't believe in that. So I'll, I actually just spoke about this recently, like on my own social media, but I think you should enjoy what you do for physical fitness. And like you said, you are always happy once you've accomplished whatever it is that I've, I've set out for you in our programming. Yes. So I know it sounds crazy, but these endurance events, like, all the marathons that I've run and even my 50 miler as miserable as it sounds, I actually was having fun the entire time. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people who do really well um, in athletics actually enjoy. So while it's like quote pain, they're actually enjoying what they're doing. Interesting. So, so, so it's really more about I don't the think definition. No pain, no gain. Yeah. And, and so I get you. I hear what you're saying. It's really more about, what is the definition of pain? And in the normal, traditional sense of the word, you disagree. I disagree. And yeah. if you're actually in pain as a professional, we should we should address that. There's something wrong. Okay, <laughs> There's something very wrong. Good. So speaking of, you know, you mentioned you did a 50 miler and, and everyone now knows you're a coach. What got you into, you know, not just exercising, but wanting to be somebody who's showing somebody how to and encouraging and motivating? How'd you become a coach? Ooh, tough question. Um, how did I become a coach? How I became a coach actually was I was in grad school and I was poor. I shouldn't say poor. I was broke and I did anything for a dollar. Okay. Not anything. But I had I worked I worked for a developmentally disabled older woman. I helped her with her bathroom and cleaning up her bed after each morning of incontinence. I worked in a foreclosure law firm. And I worked at a couple gyms. Okay. So I first worked at gyms administratively. Yep. And kind of got sucked into cover this kid's class, cover that adult class. I was super, 
super not confident. Anytime I had a coach class, I was so nervous. I didn't think I had any knowledge to share. That surprised Anything me. I can part on these people. Yeah. Oh my God, no. I was like, what do I have to teach anybody? Um, but I've always been in movement. When I was in high school and college, um, I taught dance. That was my... It was my first movement passion. I was a dancer nice. and then got hired to teach. So in terms of that and, like, motivating and being interested in movement and movement patterns and learning and teaching them, mm-hmm. I, oh, I just always did it. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know you were a dance that's teacher. Cool. So you learn something on the No Outlet yeah. podcast every time. I know. So you've, you've probably come in contact with a lot of people who are different stages of their physical fitness journey, people that are super fit, people that oh, yeah. are way out of shape. And, and I'm sure that part of what they're doing is not just, you know, having you make them do burpees, but it's also, you know, trying to eat better and trying to eat cleaner. So in the last 15 years, say, there have been Oh, my God. Who knows? Dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of different Mm -hmm. types of diets. Right. So of all the diets that you've ever seen one of your students try, what what have you seen has the best results? Best results is there's no it's a cliche for a reason. Okay, like eating lean meats and veggies and and a wide variety of different fruits and vegetables and everything in moderation works for a reason. All of these extremes, like it's so funny on one of the No Outlets podcasts, yep. you interviewed a dietitian and she pointed out something that I had only recently learned is that keto, the keto diet was to treat epilepsy in children. Oh yeah, that's right. I had just learned that when, um, when Mrs. Lamro uh, brought that to everyone's attention. Um, and those extreme diets, I've seen people lose a lot of weight on keto quickly, but they'll gain it right back. Yeah. Um, So it's really just be, don't be, don't eat like an idiot. Don't eat too much of anything. Don't eat like an asshole. That's, don't eat, the don't eat like an asshole diet, I think. (laughs) Don't eat like an asshole. That is perfect. Hey, so speaking of working out in in combination with a diet, um, what is the best post-recovery meal or drink or substance of any kind um, that somebody can use. So let's say they do a, a, a super hard 50, oh. 60 minute workout. What should they have right afterwards? I thought you were talking about like, what would I want? And I was like, Oh, I'm thinking a beer. Okay. No, you meant like, what is the best? Well, um, and- no, uh, <laughs> eating after workout is important. And okay. I think a lot of people don't take into account post uh, nutrition. So post run or post workout or post lifting nutrition, but you do want to get in some protein and carbs pretty quickly into your system. So people, you know, will tout chocolate milk. There's nothing special about chocolate milk, um, except that it has carbs and protein in it. Yep. Um, I just do a protein shake, which I go on and off of doing protein. But right now I'm on a protein kick mostly because it's just easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, But uh, it is important to eat after you work out because you have broken down muscle tissue and you do need to work to repair it. You got to repair it, right. Also, hydration nation. I'm big about drinking water. And I think people these days are a lot better. Like, I don't know about when you grew up, but, like, nobody carried a water bottle around. It yeah. was a thing. I mean, we grew up in basically the same period. You know, we're kind of the same age. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> no, but, but, I mean, honestly, but when I grew up, nobody, there was not, there was none of that. There was no water bottles. Yeah. It, it was, it was just, when you get thirsty, you go get, like, a piece of paper cup full of, you know, McDonald's orange, whatever, oh. whatever the sports team you were playing for <laughs> had. And that was, that was it. 
So Matt Frazier, who's a CrossFitter, he was recently mm. interviewed and he said every single time he's done with a workout, whether it's a competition or a strenuous workout, it's a Snickers bar and a Coke and that's it, which I, I thought it. was fascinating. Yeah. And he's like, that's been his thing for a long time. It's been his thing as long as he's been, I mean, he just retired, I think in February, but as long as he competed, yeah. he, that's was from day one. That's what he did. Well, I mean, simple carbs. Whatever works. Quick. Right. Hey, um, what is it like to be the girlfriend of a professional soccer player playing in Europe? I can't wait to hear what he asked me. What was that like? Um, you know, not as glam- not as glamorous as it sounds. Okay. <laughs> he was actually, he was the boyfriend of the only fitness coach in the village. Oh, okay. Yeah, there were lots of girlfriends of soccer players where we were, but I was the only female fitness coach. I see. Um, yeah, so everyone knew who I was. Um, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, not quite as glamorous as you'd think. There's a lot of corruption there. Um, very, very small village that we lived in. Um, and uh, even amongst the, even in within the team, yep. like people would get benched a lot. Like my parents actually flew to Portugal and, you know, wanted to see him play. And he had, like, had an argument with the coach, and he got benched. Oh, boy. <laughs> he flew yeah. all the way to Portugal and didn't even see him play. Good effort, though. Good effort. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. But my, my favorite memory is probably I didn't know a lot of Portuguese. I actually still don't. Okay. And we were at um, – we were playing a rival team. I think we were in Nordesht at the time. And I screamed out what I thought was, like, oh, damn – and it wasn't that. It was um, it was a male anatomy and uh, piece of male anatomy. And everyone turned and looked at me and stared. And I had to ask one of my Portuguese friends. I was like, "What did I say?" What did they do. Um, so uh, <laughs> well, anyway, you know, there there are worse. Great. It was a great experience overall. Yeah. No. And there are worse things to scream out in Portuguese. Portuguese is a crazy, beautiful language. It's like a cross between. French and Spanish. Um, so, mm-hmm. speaking of Portuguese and Portugal, wh- what are the feelings in Portugal about Americans? So, you were over there for a while. You were in a village. Did you get the sense? You mentioned there was corruption, which I'm sure there's corruption everywhere. But mm. did you get the sense it was an anti-American sentiment when you were over there? Um. So, uh, let's see. There were a couple Americans on the team, but one of the guys that came from America to play for this team was actually, um, he was Swiss and Iranian and Hmm. Japanese. Wow. And he was definitely favored over the white Americans. Okay. But he also was a really good soccer player and had a really good attitude. Yep, yep. So I'm not not sure that was, uh, you know, a white American kind of stigma. Um but we were treated with so much kindness there, and I actually still talk to a lot of the women that I trained frequently. There you go. That's that's a, a perfect end to that they, segment. Yeah, they are a welcoming bunch. That's awesome. For sure. Um, okay, what is more important, core strength or single leg stability? Seriously, they're one and the same. Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> core extremity. So core strength is going to come first, but if you have good core strength, 
it should be able to translate into single leg stability. And I love that you asked that question. Well, here's, here's a question that I haven't <laughs> asked in a long time, and I used to ask it all the time. How many push-ups can you do in a row without stopping? You know what? I literally thought about this answer before you called me because I was like, I hope he asks me, and I hope I can live up to it. It's either going to be 30 or 35, and I'm going to say 35. Okay. We're going to find out. We are going to find Uh, out. Okay. I hope so. We are going to find out for sure, and I bet you're going to bang out 35, no problem. I think I can do it. Totally. Um, Next question. Facebook, mostly good or mostly evil? Ugh. Mostly evil, but I yeah. stay on it because there's some good. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I only, I'm only i not on Facebook anymore, but I do still have Messenger. And the one thing I really do miss about Facebook, and it's so cliche because I'm sure everybody that's off Facebook says the exact same thing, but I miss being able to see what my aunt in Virginia is doing or what my dad's doing or what, you know, <laughs> yeah, anybody in my life. That's what I that, mean. There's some good. You know, there's some good. It definitely kept me connected. Like I was talking, even my friends in Portugal, like I see what they're doing because of Facebook and vice versa. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily keep those connections otherwise. So there's definitely enough good that I stay on it because I have gone through periods where I'm like, I, I got to get rid of it. I do actually, Liam and I were just talking about this. I did like delete the app. I only go on through my browser on my phone or my computer. Like I don't want Facebook notifications. I don't. Yeah. I don't need that. I just go on and and usually I don't even scroll that much anymore because it's I don't even need to see. But I go and check my notifications if I've been tagged in anything. If any of my close peeps, I love to look at the memories. Yeah, you know, the right? on this day. Yep. Those are really fun, especially you know in the last year with all of our isolation. Being able to see what we did with our friends in the past was a was a nice little treat. Yeah, that's cool. I like the way you put that. Hey, what's better? than one huge hairy dog (laughs) two huge hairy dogs (laughs) (laughs) so uh for everyone that doesn't know people are looking me in the audience like what are you talking about well i when i was a kid i had a dog that was half saint bernard half golden retriever and it was the i didn't know that oh yeah it was cappy best dog ever shout out to cappy in dog heaven um and you've got two actual St. Bernard's, I think, they look like them, and they're yeah. enormous. They're big. Yep. <laughs> so why, um, why, why two? Why two? Oh, I don't know, because I'm a glutton for punishment. Okay. So I got one. I got one when I had a different dog, and I had a house, and I had a yard, and um, my boyfriend and I at the time were looking to get a second dog, and he literally walked into our, our place of employment. Mm-hmm. We're gushing over him. He's so cute. Oh, my goodness. And the, the woman, our, our athlete's mother, was fostering him, and she was looking for a home. Mm. So that was Gus. So I got Gus December of 2015. He wow. just turned five in the summer. Yep. Okay. And then almost two years ago, I uh, heard a friend of a friend was getting rid of a St. Bernard. I should talk to her. And I was like, that's insane. I already have a St. Bernard, and now I have a townhouse and no yard, and that's insane. But I was like, but let me just talk to her. We'll see what happens. So I talked to her. Yeah, we exchanged some, we exchanged some pictures. I went over there with Gus. We played with Duncan. We love Duncan. So I said, well, let me just take him for a sleepover. And um, we took him for a sleepover, and I have all these pictures. They do it now, but less. 
they're like sleeping on top of each other. Oh, so cute. And I couldn't. I knew as soon as I brought him for that sleepover, that was it. So that was July of 2019. And like two weeks later, she dropped him off and never came back. Wow. You know, it's so yep, interesting. So that's how we got Duncan. I never really thought about that, but it's like, if you bring a dog, you know, a young dog and over and they, they all of a sudden instantly bond with another dog and the dog's kind of like up oh. in the air and what's going to happen. Imagine doing that to like uh, a, a child who might be, oh, kid. you know what I mean? Like if you bring a kid over that's three and they like bond with this other kid and all of a sudden it's like, oh, nope, you're off. You're going someplace else. It's like um, it, it kind of makes the whole equation a little bit different. Seems a little weirder that way. It seems a when you talk about it as way. a child, but yeah. it is. And you know, I don't know. I feed him and I take him to the bathroom, so he knew right away that I was his person. But he settled in really quickly. That's awesome. Well, that's great. I love to hear that. I love that type of dog, and and God bless you for having uh, two of them. <laughs> hey, what are your thoughts? Just out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on the fact that on average women only make seventy two percent of what a man makes? <laughs> Did you ask me that because it's equal pay day? Actually, I didn't, but can you believe it's equal pay day? I did not know that. I think it was actually, it might have been yesterday, okay. but right. So women had to work, women had to work for all of 2020 and then January, February, and basically three weeks of March Holy to make what shit. a man made in 2020 alone. What a way to think about it. That is wild. Woof. That that's why wild. they call it equal pay day because that's when we catch up. Holy and it's actually shit. worse. That's that's equal pay day for white women. Oh my god! So it goes down for women of color. Oh yeah, um, it's a travesty. There's a lot of things that contribute to it, but probably the most offensive thing about it is that people believe it's not real. Right. And that's what really gets my pennies in a twist. <laughs> <laughs> God, I have not heard that saying in a while. Yeah, but you know what? If anything's going to do that to somebody, it's it's that that's going to that's going to result that it is a problem. And you know, we know it's going to take a long time to you know course correct. We understand that, but it's the people who really believe that it's not the the false information that is the offensive part. Yeah, infuriating. Hey, um, two of these go away. All right. And one Oof. stays around. But the other two are gone from your life forever. Air squats, burpees <laughs> or planks. Wait, I can only keep one. You can only keep one. OK, squats. Squats stay. They have to stay. OK, is that because they're more complete than the other two? They're, they're a little bit more functional. Planks are great for core strength, but you can load an air squat and it's functional core strength too and if you can't squat it gets rid of a million other things yeah that's interesting yeah okay. we gotta we gotta keep we gotta keep squats so what okay but with all right so let's talk about that so let's forget about the planks okay. i get that then we take the air squats which you can load up with a goblet squat or a dumbbell or whatever compared yeah. to a, compared to a burpee right mm. St- still you keep the you keep the squat yeah we need we need we need the deep knee flexion. We need the squat. Huh. I right. mean, you can still get up off the floor. It's just not going to look like a birthday. Right. True enough. True yeah. enough. Hey, That's uh, a good one. How much fun is moving? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, if you're me and you're a psychopath, then it's not bad at all. Oh. 
<laughs> okay. This was the best move I ever had. I decided to move. Thought about moving on a Tuesday. Yep. Decided to move on a Thursday, 48 hours later. Yep. Did move nine days after that. You are an action taker. Uh, yeah. When I make a decision, I make a decision. But I got to say, I packed absolutely everything I owned, knowing that some of it was garbage. And working from home is a whole different animal because if I had an hour between clients, I would just pack a bunch of boxes. Yep. Um, and I hired movers. You did. I was surprised how late they were doing the job. I was getting updates and Ooh. I was like, wait a minute, how can they be starting now? It's like nine. Ooh, Ethan, I don't know if you know what time my bedtime is. Oh, is it late? Are you a night owl? Oh, no, no, no. It's about 10 minutes from now. Oh, <laughs> and um, the movers, now, I wouldn't have changed it because that was the day I wanted to move. But when I texted them, two of my friends had just used this company. I texted them. They said, yeah, we're available, but not before 2 p.m. because we have a job earlier in the day. Hmm. Fine. That's fine. It'll give me the morning to get organized, Take maybe even take a couple trips to the new apartment. No big deal. And one of my other clients pointed out to me, she was like, you know they're not going to be there at 2, right? Like, it's like a cable appointment. Right? They have a job before you. Yeah, yeah. And they said, um, they said if they started at two, they would be done done at nine or ten. Okay. They showed up to my townhouse at like three fifteen. All right. And they didn't so walk out of my they didn't walk out of my apartment, my new apartment, until twelve thirty midnight. Good God. Yes, they moved like molasses. Those boys. Yeah. Well, hey, you know. Which I, mean, I appreciate. They were, like, careful with my stuff. But toward the end of the night, I was like, throw it. Just throw it up the stairs. Wow. Because just get it in late there. for me. Yeah, you just know. Get it in. But they were lovely. And they didn't fit all my stuff. Yeah. And it's you mentioned the, yeah. you know, the, the packing stuff that you probably wanted to throw away or should have. I have oh. I've only had to move a few times. Um, but this last time that I moved was after living in a place for about 24 years. 23 yeah. years and oh my god the amount of stuff you that, accumulate a lot of stuff oh you can just so much like shit so there's stuff that does not belong in a new place i gave away so much stuff to goodwill i ended up throwing a lot of stuff away giving it away back to my kids all my kids like everything every picture they'd ever drawn every everything and i kept like oh yeah i did that i took that from my parents house a couple years ago i went and took all the like I was a big Red Sox fan in high school, you know, before they started winning, because now I have no interest. But when they won in 2004, and it was a really big deal, and I was a junior in high school, yeah. we I had, like, every newspaper clipping. I had every everything. Wow. I know, and I took pictures of it, and I recycled it. Like, what do I need? To, I brought it into this house. Like, what do I need it for? Yeah. I don't, and I probably won't look at it again. And if I want to look at it again, I can Google it. Interesting. I like that perspective. I went to 28 games in 2004. <laughs> it was a, wow. a special year. That was a special year. All right. Um, it was a special year, but then it sort of, it, that was impeached for me then. Yeah, I get it. I mean, because it was like, there was such anticipation of like, they're going to do it this year. No, they're not. They're going to do it this year. And they finally do it. Yeah. And then it's just like, okay, well, now what? But. Uh, yeah, well, now what? That's. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? And I'll, I'll tell you what. Having said all of that, I really do miss going to Fenway Park, especially after last summer. And it's probably going to be another summer, I think, before it's like full on Fenway. But 
That'll be with that yeah, I first. Yeah, probably have limited capacity this year, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so, like the clubs do in Europe. I, but when they go back to full, when they go back to, all right, everybody come on in, because that's going to happen probably next summer. Um, that's going to be the loudest Fenway of all time. It's going to oh be my God. mental. Can you imagine? Yes, I can. I'm ready to go. See, that'll be cool. That will be very cool. I'll be there. Hey, everyone has a coach, right? Um, and coaches <laughs> have coaches. And, you know, you were talking earlier about how you got into coaching. Um, but of all the coaches that you've ever had at any level, it doesn't matter if they're CrossFit coaches or any other coach, dance coach, it doesn't matter. Who was your most influential coach to you? Ooh, I wish you'd prepped me on that because I, I really should have somebody at the ready as a role model. I Well, we'll go this way. And actually, due to COVID and, you know, social restrictions, I didn't get to see this person when she closed her business. But my not my first dance teacher, but the one that I worked for for the longest and saw me through high school and college, that dance teacher closed her studio during COVID, ready to retire anyway, but that sort of pushed her to do so. Mm-hmm. And her best friend sent out an email, you know, um, um, trying to do like a video memorial for her. Okay. And which was great because it gave me the opportunity to sit back and think about what an impact she had on my life. Mm. And and talk again, talking about equal pay and equality. Like she was a single woman, she was yep. a single mom. Um, you know, woman owned business. She was my first real boss. Yep. Um, and so I got to sit back and think about like all the ways she really shaped the way I still live my life. Mm. So we're gonna go with her, Kathy Cobb. Kathy she was an important Cobb. woman. Shout Kathy Cobb. To- now she lives in South Carolina. She followed her daughter down, who's a professional ballerina. Shout out to Kathy Cobb. I love that. And, you know, I, I love the whole thing about women-owned business. I mean, so my, my mother, who sometimes listens to this, sometimes doesn't, but she is an absolute hero of mine. And when she was – I was 9 or 10, maybe a little bit older. She, was, she had a terrible job, um, make, having a hard time – single mom, having a hard time making it all work. And she decided to take matters into her own hands, and she became a – clown that delivered balloons and sang telegrams she was pinky the oh clown God. and she took that one persona of pinky the clown she used to write her own custom songs i mean she was really good at it and she took that and she built it into literally fast forward seven eight years into a retail what i would call a retail empire at a local scale she had like seven different locations she was just balling oh, wow. she was doing so great you know, now my daughter is uh, a business owner. She has oh, also a, an entrepreneur, yeah. Also an uh, everyday boost. If uh, if you're ever looking for some cold pressed juice, <laughs> check it out. And, and and you are in fact also a woman who owns their own business. So I think it's such an I important am. thing to do. And I think that it's uh, it's at the high level, the high water mark of respect for me is is owning your own business. And it's not easy to do. Um, you know, on your own as a woman. So nice job it's to not. you and to Kathy Cobb and to Pinky Thank the Clown you. and to my daughter Amelia. <laughs> Look at us. And everybody else. Everybody else. All right. So next question. What is your position, your expert opinion slash position on non-traditional high schools? Oh, whoa. Have we talked about this? I don't think so. 
That's why I'm asking you. No, it can't be true that we haven't talked about this, and you're just asking. Well, do you know that I went to you went to you know that I went to a non traditional high school. Look, here's what you asked me if we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have never talked about it, but I might know something about the fact that you've gone to a non traditional high school. Yes. Yeah, so my parents are. Uh, we're seeking alternative education for, I have a brother who's two years older than me, so they were searching for him first. Okay. And, you know, wherever they sent him was where I was going to end up. Of course. So um, they found a school in Framingham called Sudbury Valley. Yeah. And, you know, after after looking at several other schools, but that's what they, that's what they uh, happened on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he started going there, I believe, when he was five, and then I joined two years later when I was five, and we went there. Until we graduated from high school, and he graduated in a bigger class than me. I want to say maybe he had 19 people in his graduating class, and I had 14. Wow, that's crazy. Yes. Now I think, and I and it's I, crazy. I could be wrong about this, but I think that I remember seeing a special on 60 Minutes about that school. You sure did. And I was in it. No, you were Morley not. Safer. So I was. Oh my god. <laughs> So what I remember from it, and I don't remember the year that I saw it, but what I remember as a takeaway was the whole concept, and if I get this wrong, just tell me, but the concept was they focus on finding what the the kid, the student, is passionate in and then focusing all of their energy on that one passion. It could be anything. It could be snowboarding. It could be guitar. It could be dance. And by doing that, you end up learning. You end up growing and developing, and then you end up eventually learning other things too. But the, the hyper-focus is on that passion. Is that is that close? Um, close. The, the main tenet is that um, children are naturally curious, and you're a father. You, I'm sure you know that. Mm-hmm. And that we don't have to tell kids that they need to learn anything. Like my brother, my brother's my favorite story because he's just more interesting. Like I wanted to read, so I learned to read at a you know more typical age. But my brother never learned to read. He is a you know march to the beat of his own drum kind of guy. Okay. And when he was thirteen, he was playing Zelda video games. Sure. And he couldn't and he couldn't read the um, the speech bubbles. Ah. So he couldn't like progress on to the next level because he didn't know what they said. So he learned how to read so he could get better at Zelda. And then he went to Harvard Extension, and then he went to NYU Law, and now he has a great job working for the government. Okay, now wait a minute. Let's back up. Did you say he couldn't read when he was 13? I said he couldn't read when he was 13. Wow. that is So most people would be like, oh, my God, he can't read. What's going to happen to him? He's yeah. delinquent. But, you know, my parents, the other thing is you really have to have a family that trusts in the process. Yeah. Because if you have siblings who are in public high school and they're meeting different standards and your parents are questioning the process, it's not going to work. My parents were all in. And actually my dad started working there a few years after we started going there. We were all in, you know, trusted the process, knew my brother was going to be fine no matter what. And he was, Yeah, he didn't have anybody breathing down his neck that you have to do X or you have to do Y. Um, yeah. So, you know, he was a, a more interesting story. I learned how to read at a more typical age just because I, whatever I was doing at the time, I, I needed to or I wanted to so that I could read independently. Yeah. So it, it definitely breeds independence because you're not waiting for anyone to say, you need to learn X in math or you need to be here for English or 
science. And the truth is, like, I didn't take a science class until I went to college. I took math and some writing. But again, that's all on you. If you want to learn math and kids are not dumb when you're in eighth grade and you have friends in public school and they're in algebra, you start asking around and you start asking the staff members you know, oh, could you help me with algebra? Like, that seems like a good life skill. Right. If I want to go to college, I mean, I need to know that. Like, you're not living in a bubble. You understand that you need to know things for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I didn't take a, I didn't take biology until I went to college. I went to, I started Mass Bay, and everyone there had taken it in middle school and high school, and we were all in the same class, and I got an A. Wow. Like, we were all in the same playing field, but yeah. at some point, you know, it, it doesn't matter anymore, but it's funny that you asked because when I was in high school in the first few years of college, I talked about this all the time, was constantly defending it, and now it no longer matters. And when people hear that that is the kind of school my brother and I went to, they're astonished that you could turn out, quote, normal yeah, or successful yeah, with that kind of background. So I'm pro. pro I'm pro, you know, non-traditional schools. Yep. I got my master's in education policy. I'm interested in education, and, you know, public education in our country is could use some work. Yeah, it sure could. You know, Unfortunately. And, yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, you said a couple interesting things, and one is you got to have the right family to support that, number one. And the yeah. other thing that I think that that situation is so it fosters the, you know, the interest to want to learn, but it also – it avoids burnout because there's a lot. I mean, obviously your brother's a smart guy oh, and, yeah. your, and your parents knew he was smart when he was younger. And there are so many people that I went to school with that were so, so smart, but just hated mm. the the process of being told, now you're going to do this. Now you're going to show up and now you're going to read this. And they just said, fuck this. And they were just like out of here. But you know that if they had a different uh, schema to, to learn yes. that they would have flourished and it's uh you guys are lucky to be you know part of that school that's cool i love that we are lucky yeah small community so speaking of sudbury valley how often do you brag about sharing an alma mater with an academy award winning filmmaker uh, who are we talking about ah maybe you don't know this I don't know this. Have you heard the name Laura Poitras? No. Laura Poitras is a, uh, a an alumni of Sudbury Valley, and she really? won. Yeah, and she won an Academy Award for a film that she created. Um, I think it was maybe 2012. So she's obviously a little bit older than you, but um, but I just you know I thought it was cool that. Do you know when she went to Sudbury Valley? Hmm. I don't want to guess. I don't want to give poor Laura too many years. I, I, I'm going to guess that it was probably like a graduation in like maybe 2000. But that's a total guess. Oh. That's a yeah, guess. but even then, like there's no age segregation. So like a lot of my friends growing up were much older. Mm. Um, Look her up. The name sounds a little familiar. There was another woman that I went to high school with. Her name's Nicole Beckwith. But I think she only won something for the Sundance. Okay. Festival. Yeah, I know. Definitely this was, wasn't an Academy Award. Yeah, this was a legit Oscar. Wow. Pretty cool, right? Now you can. Now I the answer cool. is zero times you bragged brag. about it, but now you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, now okay. I will. Thank you. So, of all the events, you mentioned a fifty miler. Um, you've done all kinds of crazy. I think you've done obviously marathons and all that stuff, CrossFit mm-hmm, challenges, and you've done all types of competitive events, right? Of all of them. 
what was the one that had you closest to thinking, all right, I don't know if I can do this. Not not thinking about quitting because I'm sure that's not in your DNA, but thinking, holy shit, this is hard. And at the end, retrospectively saying that was the hardest thing that I've ever done. <clears throat> okay, honestly, I've never had that thought. <laughs> You've never thought that's I've the hardest a, thing I've ever done? I've thought that, but I've never thought mid-endurance event, I can't do this. Okay. Well, like or you said, I'm not going to make it. Even even when we did that 50 miler and Sean and I got separated on the Appalachian Trail, yeah. I was like expletive, expletive, expletive. I am miserable. Right. But I never questioned that I was going to like not make it. Well, and I'm not. That doesn't surprise me. Like I said, that doesn't seem like part of your makeup. But it was just going to take me a long time. <laughs> so let's do it this way instead. Why don't you briefly explain for everybody, you know, in the audience that's munching on popcorn and, and drinking soda and those <laughs> listening at home about that? Because if I'm not mistaken, part of it was like a, a spr- like a, a sprint up part of like a mountain. I mean, can, just go through the yeah, broad strokes. Yeah, it was strokes. a mountain. It was a mountain. It was a mountain. Okay. So broad strokes. So first um, mile of the 50 is uh, road flat. Yep. And then you start climbing to such a degree that, like, you can't run. You have to walk. Wow. It's straight up. So there's, like, a mile. I think there's another mile and a half that's on the road that was like that. And we had, you know, talked at length about strategy. And, you know, Sean is no stranger to endurance events, my training partner. Yep. And so we had talked about it, you know, when there's deep patches and roll a lot. Like, it's 50 miles. We knew we were going to be out there for at least nine hours. We're going to walk. Right. So we, we immediately, like, round this corner, straight up, we start walking. Um, and so then it, like, goes back and forth between after two and a half miles, we're on the Appalachian Trail. And the first mile of the Appalachian Trail is, like, gingerly inclining. The terrain is not that technical. We're, like, having a blast. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we get from the Appalachian Trail, you go to, like, a paved bike section, but also the Appalachian Trail. Wow. Straight up, we're walking. Like, absolutely hoofing it, walking straight up. And yep. it's like that, I think, for the first five and a half miles. Then we're back on getting more and more technical terrain, and that was when I fell for the first time. We were, like, right before mile seven, I think, and I was trying to eat a bagel. <laughs> I also wear glasses, <laughs> as most people know. I wear glasses. I didn't wear glasses running this race. Yep. I thought about wearing contacts, but the truth is I can't wear contacts for that many hours. Like, I could wear them for a couple hours. So if it was going to be a couple hours of running, yeah, I could have done it. But I knew we were going to be out there, including, you know, start line, finish line, for close to 12 hours. I couldn't do it. So I'm also struggling to see the train. I'm trying to eat this bagel, and I eat it so hard in front of, like, five other runners. And I wasn't hurt, but I was pissed. And then every time I stepped a toe, I was so mad. So from miles, I think it's miles two and a half to mile 15 and a half, we're on the Appalachian Trail. And I was miserable. Miserable to the point Sean and I separate because she knew I was miserable. We met up again at 15 and a half. We get off the the, – Appalachian Trail, we run into a parking lot, and I think we're done. I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. I'm going to see Shonda around this corner. We're going to meet up, and we're going to do the next section. And all of a sudden, this guy is, like, yelling and waving at me. I had to get back on the trail for another half a mile. 
I almost lost it. Uh, and we're still early on. Yep. So we get back on the trail for like a half mile. Then I find Shonda and all these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and everything's going to be okay. I have a fanny pack speaker that I had bought, I had bought for a different event, but it was perfect. Yep. Get the, we get my fanny pack speaker going. And then it's a marathon, a little bit more than a marathon. It's like 27.3 on a gravel towpath. What the fuck? It looked exactly the same. It's like running along the Charles, except it was the Potomac, and it's gravel. Wow. Literally 27 straight miles, nothing in the train changes. Damn. Which actually, I didn't mind, but Shonda was unhappy. So my friend Nikki came down to support us. We saw her a couple times on the towpath, and then the last eight miles are rolling country road. But again, as soon as you get off the towpath, it's straight up. And luckily, someone had warned us to that. So when we got off the towpath, we knew we were going to walk. We walked up this hill, and the last eight miles were my favorite part. I was like, leave me on the road all day. Well, yeah, road running you're like, my jam. Finally, I'm I'm done. Like the last twenty. Oh my god! Like, here we go. Yeah, last twenty percent, but also like the road is where we did most of our training. We did some trails, but not that much, and no gravel training. Um, so the last eight miles, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, we're still running. Well, congrats on point, finishing. Like, eight hours later, thank you. That was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. I promised her I would never do that one again. <laughs> Um, but we signed up for a different 50 in Chicago in October. So I'm really hoping it doesn't get canceled. You are crazy. I don't think well. You're crazy. Hey, speaking of crazy events, have you ever heard of the Barkley Marathons? So funny. I was just reading about those today. Oh, you got to check out the documentary. It is out of control. Out of control. Like, I think that there's only been, it's been going on since 1986. Yeah, nobody, 15 people have finished. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. In like right thirty years, and you've got to like you know run through Pruckerbush, and you've got to like you know look for clues, and you've got to craft these. I mean, it's it's nuts. And then oh there's some people that have. Uh, I think there's one dude who's won it like twice or three times, um, and people come from all over the world. People come from you know Europe. Oh yeah, and everywhere. Have you ever thought about doing something like that, or that particular? So. One? Um... No, I did. After we did the 50, I said I definitely wanted to do 100K, which is like 62 miles. Okay. Um, I hated the trail. I was miserable, and part of it was a lack of preparedness, but part of it is just like, it's not my jam. I like the road, and that's why I found it's a road 50. Yeah. Um, the thing about once you get into ultra running is it's more trail. It's more often trails than it is road. Yeah. And that's just because it's easier. If you're going to have 100 miles, like you're not going to – close 100 miles worth of roads right 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 um but i was just watching a documentary this morning about um the leadville 100 okay which is a which is a 100 mile trail race um it wasn't really about that it was about this guy who was a trail runner he was out like in a trail by his house like that he'd run a million times before stepped on a boulder that he'd stepped on a million times before the boulder moved out from under him he took a 60 foot drop holy. and the boulder landed on his leg holy shit yep dave Mackey, and they kept the leg for like a year and a half 13 surgeries trying to save it oh. but he just wasn't healing he could hardly walk so they ended up and he was lucky he saved his knee so he got a below the knee oh. amputation on his left leg by choice you know like that he decided that he would actually have a better quality of life and then he ran the lead 100 oh. on his amputee after having done it um, on two of his own legs. And it was just an awesome, and that's the kind of stuff like 
watching that, I'm like, I miss racing, and I would totally do that. Yeah. I, gotta, I would totally do a 100-mile trail race. I mean, it took him 25 hours. Wow. I got to tell you, when you were yeah. telling, I, I, I was really listening, and I was visualizing it, and I could feel <laughs> a rock. You know, first I could feel falling 60 feet. Oh, my feet, God. And then you feel this rock come on. And then a year of trying to save the goddamn leg, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That sounds horrifying. I know. Yikes. All right, let's talk about something honestly, more fun. His attitude, yeah. his attitude was pretty good. Well, I'm I, I'm sure it was. I mean, what what choice do you have at that point? Either, either I mean, if you're going to yeah. survive the fall and survive the rock hitting you and then all the surgeries, right out of the gate, you know you're mentally tough, right? So, true. Right. True, so, okay. True. So, let's talk about a different subject. What is your dream vacation spot? No running, no sprinting, oh. no boulders. Dream vacation spot. I actually am so hoping it happens. Um, I am supposed to go to Costa Rica in June, and I think that might be that might be a dream vacation spot. I've nice. been. I've had those. I've. I'm very fortunate, and I have gotten to travel to a lot of places, um, and I've never been to Costa Rica. That sounds awesome. I, I know people have been there. They love it. Um, uh, my favorite teacher in high school, Joe Arnstein, shout out to Joe, Joe Arnstein. He lives in Costa Rica. And, uh, really? Oh, actually, you know what? I take that back. He lives in the DR. He lived in Costa Rica for a while. My dad almost went to Costa Rica, and now they both live in the DR. But uh, I've heard nothing but good okay. things about it. So have fun. Yeah. Have a blast. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> so here's uh, a tough one. You can only have one of these for the rest of your life. You get to keep one, and the other one goes away forever. Sushi or alcohol? Oh, really? Yes. You can't do me like that. Yeah. All right, fine. I, I, ooh, that's tough. I guess I'm going to keep the alcohol, that, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I hear you. And I'm not even a big drinker, but um, um, you know how much I love sushi. Well, that's the thing. I, it's it's a good one. I think I, I think I have to keep the alcohol. Okay, I can see that. I mean, sushi is one of my favorites too. And and look, great sushi. There's nothing better. Um, but bad sushi, which sometimes you get, not bad, but just subpar sushi. It's nothing special. Mm-hmm. And alcohol has so many different. You, well, like, there's so many different varieties. So many different varieties and so many different uses. Um, and so I think if I if I had to pick, I picked this question because I had a hard time with it. If I had to pick, I'd mm-hmm. probably pick alcohol too because there's a million different foods that you can eat instead of sushi. But if you yeah. get rid of alcohol, then you've got rid of alcohol. So you kind of it's gone. Tea just tea just isn't the same. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, we are down to the it. we are down to the final two questions. Wow. I know. It's gone quick, but here we are. And the second to last question is, what is your Mount Rushmore of cheat foods? So you can pick oh four. Oh, my God. Okay. I think people have been misunderstanding this question. I'm supposed to pick four things, right? Four things that represent the four old white men on the side of a mountain. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, ooh. Okay, now we could talk about cheat foods because, like, you don't cheat when you eat food, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> okay, see. fair enough. Um, like, food in itself isn't bad, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, cheat foods. Um, definitely Krispy Kreme donuts. Whoa, that's a good one. Oh, my God. And I was just talking about this. The two summers after high school, I worked in Boca Raton, Florida at a 
arts-based preschool. And I used to literally drive, because they're not up here, but they're everywhere in Florida. Yep. I used to drive when I knew the hot light was going to be on. Oh, that's everything. I would go, and they're only good when they're warm. Yep. So, like, maybe if my friend Anna was with me, we would get a dozen. And if I was by myself, I would probably pound a half dozen. Holy moly. They're yeah, so tasty. I know that's gross. Well, no, it's not gross because when they're when they're warm like that, they almost melt in your mouth. I only like the plain kind, like the plain glaze. Like to me, that's oh yeah, that's the only way. That's the only way. And you eat one, and it doesn't even feel like you've eaten anything. Meanwhile, it's probably like, oh, it's like two thousand calories, right? But it feels like <laughs> it's hair. So I can see six, no problem. Oh, this is a tough aim because I'm not even sure. And look, oh, you can expand it. it can, you can expand it to anything. It can be. It can be wine. It can be a bag of chips. It can be candy. It can be chocolate. It can be what a cake. It doesn't matter. Mm. Or it can be something that, you know, maybe isn't necessarily considered cheat food, but you could just, you know, you it's like a comfort right. food you go to all the time. We had a guy. Oh, yeah. Probably, probably like cannolis. That's two. Okay, good. Donuts and cannolis. Uh. Mike's Pastries. Shout out to Mike's. Mike's <laughs> Pastries. I know. This one's going to sound gross, but there's a place in uh, South Boston called uh, Lee Chen's. Okay. And it's Mexican and Chinese food, but you don't get the Mexican food there. You'll only get the Chinese food. Um, and it's what you get after, you know, when we used to go out in public at night. Yeah, I remember that. It's what you would get after. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. It's what we get after, like, a late night of drinking. Okay. Um, and then probably, like, a, a really good, like, a you know, a Georgetown or something, red velvet cupcake. Yum. That's a good. That's a good Mount Rushmore. There, you got your Krispy Kreme, you got your cannoli, you got your Chinese food, uh, Leech Farms. Is that what you call it? Leech ends. Leech ends, and then you got your your cupcake, red velvet specifically. I like that. Okay. Oh, specifically. Um, so we are down to the last question. The last question is: If somebody who's listening or will listen to this is interested in taking charge of their life, making making a, a, a physical statement uh, about who they are and they're interested in having you torture them at least a few times a week, what's the best way for people to contact you to do that? Ethan, I'm so glad you asked. I'm on Instagram at CoachLizaDuddy. Lovely. You can find me at and my email is CoachLizaDuddy at gmail.com. There you go, folks. As somebody who's been taking classes from her, from, has it been a year? It's been a year. I don't. Yeah, because I think you started joining us when the world shut down. That's right. So as somebody who's been doing it for a year, I can tell you that I've been doing some type of exercise for a long time. Liza makes it fun. Liza has that perfect balance. <laughs> she does. She has that perfect balance of pushing you to your limit but making you feel like you can do it. And, and she tells little stories and she keeps you laughing and the time flies. <laughs> I know. And... I was a little worried about the stories that were going to come up tonight, Ethan. Oh, I know when to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I know when to keep my mouth shut. So listen, if you could see oh. the studio audience here, they are on their feet. They're doing backflips. They're doing burpees. They're doing air squats. They are so excited to hear all about you. And I want to thank you sincerely for being on the podcast. It's been my pleasure. And I hope you have a tremendous night. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care, Liza. All right. Good night. Bye.